When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My name is Joan Murator. I'm the test program leader for strollers at Consumer Reports. I've been testing strollers for at least 15 years. I think it's longer than that. Do you like the hands-on stuff? Do you like actually trying out the products? Oh, yeah. I mean, especially with strollers, you have to. You can read about it all you want, but until you're actually pushing it or trying to open it or close it, it's not the same thing. You have to be hands-on with that for sure. When Joan Murator tests out baby strollers for Consumer Reports, she really puts them through their paces. We have a course set up outside on our grounds, and we go through, uh, there's a narrow section, like if you're between cars, trying to get through a parking lot, up and down hills, through like a little slalom course even, up and down curbs, and there's actually an off-road section as well, where there's like grass, tree roots, kind of thing, so it gives you a good picture. Joan adopts the perspective of a harried parent who has no time for anything that doesn't work intuitively. If I have to go on YouTube to watch a video to find out how to fold this stroller, I'm not going to be a happy camper. When I asked Joan for her top stroller pick, she was diplomatic. But when I told her what brand of stroller I have, she wasn't surprised. Everybody has an upper baby. You see them a lot. And like you want to have what your friends have, your or your your, your peers, people you see pushing strollers around. It's like, oh, they have an upper baby too, you know, so that kind of thing. And it's a great product. Jones Consumer Reports Review calls Up a Baby's flagship stroller notably sturdy and says it delivers a smooth ride, which, as an Upper Baby owner, I found to be true. Yeah, I have one, just like every other parent in my Brooklyn neighborhood. When my wife and I were expecting our first kid and shopping for strollers, we noticed Upper Babies everywhere we looked. So we figured it must be a decent brand, and we bought one. It turned out fine. We're happy with our choice. But buying a stroller because everyone else had one made me curious about the nature of the stroller business. Upa Babies aren't mere products. They're lifestyle signifiers. Bourgeois parents pushing them down yuppified city streets are saying something about themselves and to each other, not unlike a teen with a muscle car revving down a small-town boulevard. I wondered, how does a stroller brand become the one that parents want to be seen with? The one that's on every sidewalk? And how does it stay that way when new stroller customers are being born every minute? I'm Seth Stevenson. Welcome to Thrilling Tales of Modern Capitalism. Today on the show, Stroller Derby. Up a baby and the battle for sidewalk supremacy. The world of strollers breaks into two categories. There are the strollers you can buy at Target that cost a couple hundred bucks, are perfectly fine, meet all the safety standards, and get the job done. And then there are the fancy strollers. The ones that yuppie parents buy because we see all our yuppie parent friends pushing their yuppie children around in them. If you look back at the New York Times' coverage of baby strollers over the last several decades, which I have, you can trace a progression of fancy stroller brands that one after another became popular among big city parents who could afford them. Each era had its own it stroller. 
For a lot of the 20th century, the It Stroller was the Silver Cross, a classic English brand that's been around since 1877. It's famous for making expensive prams that are the size of Range Rovers. Grace Kelly had one, and British royalty favor them. This is the Wilsonette, the pushchair that gives elegance and comfort, even in a crowded area. Convenient to push and a charm to display. The neat little Wilsonette by Silver Cross. By the 1970s, the hot stroller company was Peg Perigo, an Italian brand with a more casual vibe and bright, playful fabrics. By the early 1980s, the cool upmarket stroller was from Aprica, a Japanese brand known for its highly ergonomic designs. But by 1985, according to a Time story from that year, yuppie families on the Upper West Side would not be seen at the playground without their McLaren. Don't look now, George. Oh. Some flesh air has got new wheels. Oh, the new McLaren Dreamer. Very deluxe. It's a bit over the top, George. Painted chassis, ludicrously powerful brakes, deep, comfy, reversible seat with full safety harness. Come on, who needs it, George? George? McLaren is the stroller brand that pioneered the umbrella fold, in which the stroller collapses in on itself for maximum compactness. This design was the brainchild of a British man who'd also helped create the Spitfire fighter plane. The Smithsonian Channel even made a documentary about him. Owen McLaren, businessman, former test pilot, and aircraft engineer. McLaren sees the need for a newer, better stroller. And he thinks the McLaren dominated America's top-tier stroller market through the 1990s, which is when it met its match in the form of a fictional mom. I worked very hard at taking care of Aiden's feelings. Will you mention that to Steve? Because if Aiden told Steve that... Carrie, I... you know what? Maybe you should call your girlfriend Samantha. She has all kinds of time to talk about this kind of stuff. But if she could maybe just once acknowledge the fact that I've had a baby. In a 2002 episode of HBO's Sex and the City, the character Miranda Hobbs, a type A Manhattan lawyer played by Cynthia Nixon, pushes a purple stroller made by a Dutch company called Bugaboo. This was a legendarily successful bit of product placement. And HBO subscribers, just the kind of upmarket urbanites that Bugaboo wanted to reach, started buying in droves. Bugaboos had a cleaner, more sophisticated look than strollers that came before. They showed up in paparazzi photos of celebrity moms like Gwyneth Paltrow and Victoria Beckham. Some Bugaboo models sold for upwards of $1,000 each, but parents with money just had to have them. They made the Bugaboo the clear it stroller of the early aughts. Watching all this from afar was an experienced product developer named Bob Monahan, who'd made cars at Ford and shoes at Reebok before he moved into the baby products business. I did gates, I did monitors, I did safety aids, I did ride on cars. It was 2005, the height of the Bugaboo craze. Bob and his wife were about to have their second kid. When Bob took a look at the stroller market, he saw a big hole in it. At the bottom were the affordable, no-frills strollers. They were a little clunky and not so attractive to look at. They were often covered in tacky prints, teddy bears, or rainbows. At the top of the market were the European imports, like McLaren and Bugaboo. These were stylish and functional, but super expensive. And because they were foreign, it wasn't always easy for American buyers to get repairs or replacement parts. Bob sensed there was a place for a domestic brand that could offer what he thought of as affordable luxury. So it was just kind of like a price point somewhere between $200 and $600. There was a huge opening and also an opening for like a high-end brand 
with more American sensibilities and good customer service. That was the opening. The other insight Bob had was that, unlike with a lot of other baby products, the decision about which stroller to buy was a discussion where a lot of dads, like him, and I should confess, like me, got deeply involved, doing research and comparing specs like they were buying a car. So Bob tried to cater to that demographic with elements that he found appealing. Cool colors, anodized aluminum, welded aluminum, you know, lightweight instead of steel, the modularity where you snap parts in, snap parts off, being able to go over rougher terrain with it, the suspensions. I mean, just almost any functionality that you'd see kind of an automotive and then translating that into a stroller. Uh, yeah, that's what kind of got exciting for me. Bob quit his job in 2005. The company he started, Up a Baby, sold its first stroller in 2006. It slowly gathered steam, and Bob's wife Lauren got involved, taking a major role. And then came a global economic collapse that Bob worried might imperil the company. When the recession hit, we were very nervous. We were just kind of getting going. As it turned out, the economic contraction hit Bob's upmarket competitors with their four-figure prices harder than Bob's new mid-tier business. I think it actually worked in our favor because for a while there, the era of uh, conspicuous consumption was not cool. So for us, you know, you had people that had plenty of money but didn't want to spend it all, but you had also people that could still reach for it even during the recession. So we still grew even, you know, 2007, 2008. Bugaboo's ultra-luxury image seemed out of step with the times. Meanwhile, McLaren was forced to recall a million strollers in 2009 when 12 children lost fingers because of a faulty hinge design. When the dust settled, there was a new It stroller. Up a baby with its slightly more reasonable pricing and safer hinges emerged on top, and it stayed there. Here's how Bob got introduced on CNBC in 2017. Joining us here at Post 9 is Bob Monahan, CEO at Up a Baby, a high-end stroller and car seat company that if you're not familiar with, just go to the Upper West Side and you'll see them all over the place. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So what's this? Anti- that was the year my wife and I were expecting our first kid. And I can attest that when we started tuning in to which stroller brands people were using, we saw Upper Babies everywhere in our Brooklyn neighborhood. Which, I have to admit, is what convinced us to buy one. The fact that so many other people had Upper Babies made them feel like a safe choice. And when you're shopping for baby stuff, safe is an extremely appealing quality. There's not much temptation to roll the dice on some weird stroller brand you've never heard of. All of which means that stroller success is, to some degree, self-perpetuating. A company's strollers serve as mobile billboards for its brand. At the same time, though, there are some unique challenges when it comes to marketing strollers. Maybe the biggest is that the customer base turns over completely every few years. Think about the apparel industry. People are in the market for shirts and pants their whole lives. If you're selling clothes and you win a new customer, that customer might keep buying your products for decades. Strollers aren't like that. Stroller buyers have spent their entire lives paying no attention at all to strollers. They can't even name a stroller brand. And then, when they're expecting their first kid, they suddenly tune in and start paying a ton of attention. And then they stop paying attention around the time their youngest kid turns four, and they never think about strollers again. If you're a stroller company, you have a brief window to grab people's trust. And then those people buy one stroller, two at most, and they're done. And you need to grab the next generation's trust all over again. Up a Baby has successfully done this for more than a decade now. But can it stay the It stroller forever? It seems like there's a target on our back right now. More on that when we come back. 
So this all began uh, when I was in business school. My wife and I welcomed our now four-year-old twins. It was 2016. Ted Yobst was 30 years old in his first year at Wharton Business School. He and his wife went to a brick-and-mortar baby store to shop for strollers, and they did not enjoy the experience. You walk in and you're immediately inundated with a wall of 100 strollers at different price points, different brands for different parts of your life, and your head kind of explodes. And then you look at the price tags and realize, wow, I have to pay what to get a quote-unquote high-quality stroller? And then you try it out on linoleum floors and wide aisles. You think, eh, it might work, but you have no clue if it would actually work in your real life. Ted wasn't a fan of shopping in stores, not just for strollers, but for anything. He's used to buying lots of stuff online, straight from a company's website. The so-called direct-to-consumer model, made famous by brands like Warby Parker for eyeglasses or Casper for mattresses. It puzzled Ted that the big stroller brands, including Up a Baby, didn't sell strollers directly from their own websites. He would have preferred that. Instead, to get an Up a Baby, you have to walk into a specialty baby store, or you can maybe buy on Amazon. Either way, there's a middleman, a retailer of some kind, that's handling the point-of-purchase interaction with Up a Baby's customers and is marking up the stroller's final price so it can take its cut. Ted, as a business school student on the lookout for an entrepreneurial idea, thought he'd spotted an opportunity. He did a lot of research. He got connected with a stroller designer and a factory in China. And not long after he'd graduated business school, he had a product. He named his stroller the Kalugo after a cute little flying mammal that's native to Asia. In 2018, when they launched, the only place you could buy a Kalugo stroller was from the Kalugo website. Instead of selling wholesale to a retailer and then having it marked up three plus times again and sold to a customer, we sell it directly to the customer. So all of that retail markup, all of the money that the brand would have to spend in co-marketing it with the retailer and getting it to the retailer is eliminated. Ted is proud of his stroller's design. He thinks it's top-notch. But he thinks Up a Baby makes great strollers, too. The way he plans to eat away at Up a Baby's business isn't necessarily by making a better stroller. It's by attacking them using almost the exact same playbook that Bob Monahan used to attack Bugaboo 15 years ago. First, undercut them on price. When Up a Baby launched, it was pitched as affordable luxury. But Up a Baby's prices have crept up over time and become less affordable. Ted thinks they're in part taking advantage of the fact that new parents increasingly seem willing to spend more on a stroller. And that's because they're not the ones actually spending. A real phenomenon we've seen is like the person selecting the product isn't always the one paying for it. So in this case, I'm talking about registry. Baby registry has become a bigger and bigger business, both at, you know, the Bye Bye Babies and the Targets of the world, as well as some of the more standalone sites like Babylist and even Amazon offers an open registry. So I think when your parents or a group of friends are buying you something, you know, your willingness to pay oftentimes goes up. Sure, because you're not paying. <laughs> exactly, because it's, it's, it's your willingness for someone else to pay. <laughs> By keeping his margins down and cutting out the middleman, Ted thinks he can offer a stroller as good as Up a Baby's at two-thirds of Up a Baby's price, which still matters even in the age of baby registries. The other advantage of that direct-to-consumer model is how it changes customer service. When someone buys a Kalugo stroller, Kalugo controls every step of the process. The customer gets their information about the product from the Kalugo website. The purchase itself happens on that website in a way that Kalugo has designed. 
The customer's personal info all goes straight to Kalugo. And any questions or feedback go straight to Kalugo too. You know, having that direct relationship means feedback is instantaneous and specific. We're able to do things like, you know, look at what people are asking us most inbound about our products. You know, they're emailing our customer service team about something 10 times in one week. Well, we're going to change our website and maybe take some more photos and things like that to make sure that customers really understand what they're buying. And then on the back end, we're going to send you emails and texts that you've opted into, of course, after you've purchased something to help you get the most out of your product. Bob Monahan of Upababy thought he could out-customer service Bugaboo partly by just being an American company servicing American customers instead of a Dutch company trying to do it from overseas. But Bob also worked to establish a solid customer service team. Joe Murator of Consumer Reports told me that Upababy is very responsive to questions and problems. Remember, though, when you buy an Upababy at a retail shop, you're not dealing with an Upababy employee. You're dealing with someone who works at the shop. Customers with questions or problems might direct them to the retailer, which means Upababy might never hear that feedback. The customer's contact information might go to the retailer too, instead of to Upababy. If you're trying to form a close relationship with your customer, those things get in the way. When I asked Bob if Upababy ever considered a direct-to-consumer model, ever thought about selling from its own website, he said it's not something they're considering in the near term. Part of why he's reluctant to change is he feels he owes something to those specialty baby shops that took a chance on Upababy early on and still believe in it. The retailers help us launch the business. They help us build the business. They continue to support us and promote us and have the product out. And we continue to be successful that way. So we're not really in any mood to change at this point. The advantage of retail shops is people can put their hands on the stroller see it up close, instead of just looking at it on the web. But in the midst of a pandemic, that advantage is severely muted. And Bob says that's opened his eyes to some of the merits of selling direct. Times change. It's 12 years after we started, 15 years after we started, and with COVID, people buy online, people shop online. There's word of mouth, people buy brands. So it's always something we gotta watch. We definitely have our eye on it. Ted Yopes says Kalugo is doing well, and it released a second stroller model this year. A couple of other new stroller companies, one called Mockingbird, one called Lalo, launched not long after Ted did, using the same direct-to-consumer idea. They're all going after Upababy, and they've all still got a long way to go before they're a threat. But if people buy strollers based on what they see other people buying, it seems like if Ted can win over a few influential parents, it could quickly snowball into bigger success. If we're able to put pressure on price for the incumbents and we're able to put pressure on their experience so that they improve it and parents come out ahead across the board, I think we win, parents win, the industry wins. If Up a Baby's story teaches us anything, it's that competitive pricing, better service, and a little deus ex machina, in Up a Baby's case, a recession that hurt competitors, can sometimes be enough to launch you on your way. Ted Yobst is hoping he can replicate that model with a pandemic serving as the deus ex machina. His company's still a toddler, but it's strapping in and putting its feet up for what it hopes will be an exciting stroll. That's our show for today. This episode was produced by Jess Miller with help from Madeline Ducharme and Cleo Levin. Technical direction from Merritt Jacob. Gabriel Roth is Slate's editorial director for audio. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer of podcasts at Slate. June Thomas is senior managing producer of the Slate Podcast Network. If you like this show, tell your friends to subscribe. 
But you can also leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find us. Next week on the show, the journalism equivalent of a car crash. He's driving past a road accident that looks pretty bad, and the cars are all stopping and rubbernecking. Suddenly hit him. Well, if people want that, that's what I'm going to give them. That's next week on Thrilling Tales of Modern Capitalism. If you're not a Slate Plus member yet, here's our pitch. It's only $35 for the first year, and it helps us make this show and all the great podcasts you get from Slate. Sign up now at slate.com slash thrilling plus. Thanks for listening.